favorite movie of all time. Favorite movie of all time is called The Cinderella Man. Raise your hand if you've ever seen that movie. It, it, it truly is my number one. Uh, you have uh, a boxer named J.J. Braddock who was an unbelievable fighter, getting ready to take on uh, and win, attempt to win the heavyweight championship. And then the Great Depression happens. He loses all of his money, which he had tied up in the stock market. He ends up breaking his wrist, and he starts a downward spiral where he goes into his own pit, where he's having extreme trouble. He, he's scared that he's going to lose his family, that he won't be able to even provide just to feed them, just to keep the house warm during the winter. But something happens. You see, J.J. Braddock, who's also known as the Cinderella Man, he gets another opportunity. He gets an opportunity to, to start fighting again just randomly because they needed somebody. Well, during this time, he, he had never lost heart. He had never lost his focus uh, of providing for his family. He kept battling uh, to work, to get, to get jobs on the dock, and he kept getting stronger and stronger, and he didn't even realize it. And when he got that opportunity to fight, he won. And then he got more opportunities all the way back until eventually he took on Max Bear, the man who had killed two men already in the boxing ring, a man who was, who was fierce and, and, and scary. But J.J. Braddock, the Cinderella man, he didn't care because no longer was he fighting for money. No longer was he fighting for fame as he said, he was fighting for milk. He knew his purpose was about his family, was about those around him. And you know what? All the people in the nation were looking to the Cinderella man to see how he could fight his way back and how he could, he could energize the people even when he was in the lowest of the lows. And Joseph, in our story, Joseph, in our story, will be seen as the Cinderella man in this chapter. He's going to be seen as, as the man who is truly, not just in the dumps, but in the pit, in the dungeon, in the cell. And he's going to be celebrated as a champion. People are going to celebrate his name throughout the world, throughout the known world, they will be celebrating him. It's a very long chapter. We're, we're, today we're going to try to, uh, Pastor Dave said, uh, we're going to break into the word today. We've got a lot of verses in chapter 41. We're trying to cover all of chapter 41. I talked to Pastor Tim Bedall, who's our lead pastor, and I said, this is a long chapter. He goes, oh, wait for, wait for chapter 43. And it just keeps coming. And so instead of going through and reading all of the scripture, which, which totally I assume that you guys are doing through the week as you're preparing for small group or as you're preparing for uh, other things, we're going to go through an outline form. And we're going to dig in through our first point to cover the entire chapter. And this is, this is truly a story 
that will take your breath away. The chapter begins with Moses writing about the problem. We have a problem at hand. And this is covering the first eight verses within chapter 41. And we see that the Pharaoh, he's going to have a pair of dreams. He's going to dream. He's going to wake up probably in a, in a cold sweat. And then he's going to dream again. Remember what, who the Pharaoh is? The Pharaoh, is, he's the king. He, he's the ruler of everything in Egypt. He, he, he's, he's overseeing everything that happens. He is the one who gets to make the decisions of whoever's in charge. He's even overseeing the religious areas within the, within the uh, country. You guys probably think of King Tut. He was a pharaoh. And so, so this pharaoh is having these dreams, and he says, you know what? I need to find out what this means. It is bothering me so bad. I, I, I can't get it out of my mind. And he calls all of his people. He calls all of them and says, I need help. Help me out to understand this. I need all the wisest people. I need the magicians. I need the people who normally interpret my dreams. They were paid to do that. That was their job. Paid to do that. But you know what? This particular dream, or this pair, this set of dreams, they were given by God. They were given by God. And, and so the only only one who could interpret that would be the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 2.10 says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So no one, could, no one could understand what was going on. And then all of a sudden, the crazy guy sitting to the side, the cupbearer, goes, oh, I remember. There was this guy a couple years ago. And he started to think, you know, the cupbearer is just looking for his opportunity to get praise. He just, he sees this as an opportunity. You know what? It was a little too risky to bring up his name earlier of this convict. I'm not going to get him out. I've, I've already got, I've established my place back here with the Pharaoh, and I'm going to enjoy my situation. But now he thinks maybe, maybe he can interpret the Pharaohs, and then the Pharaoh's going to give me a big pat on the back. He's going to give me a big pat on the back. And you know, the timing of this was impeccable. It was absolutely perfect. There's a saying that, that says, um, God is rarely early, but he's never late. You see, when, when I look into my own life and I start thinking, okay, God, please, please do this, and and please do that. Our kids do that about, about us, and they want us to do something. Come on, Dad, do that. But there's a reason we wait, or there's a reason we hold off. And, and I think of God and how many things that I've asked for. I mean, it, it couldn't be said any better than, than by the great Garth Brooks. 
the unanswered prayers. And we have prayers that we ask God, we beg God for, and then they go unanswered from our vantage point. And we don't even realize what we were asking for might have just moved us off of a track that God has us. Jacob and I were just discussing this about what if. We were doing the what ifs. What if, I think it was, Dad, what if you were 6'5"? I mean, there's so many variables that could have happened. If I was 6'5", maybe, maybe I played basketball at a D1 school and, and, and I never got together with Sherry. And then I didn't have any of my five kids. I may not ever have thought about the ministry. Maybe I would have walked away from the Lord. I don't know. You start playing those with us and you understand that God, his timing is perfect. And that's exactly what's happening here. If Joseph would have, if the cupbearer would have got out and said, hey, oh, oh, there, there's, this, there's this guy in jail, in prison. And, and you know what? He, he is totally, he, he, he helped me out. Can you free him? The Pharaoh might have said, whatever. I don't care what you think. Or maybe he freed him and, and Joseph went off somewhere else. Maybe he went back to his dad. All kinds of variables you start thinking about. And that's not where God needed Joseph. That's not where God needed Joseph. I mean, I'm sure Pastor Dave has seen a thousand times a man in jail, in prison, and it's where he needed to be in order to find the Lord. We don't understand God's ways. I'm so thankful that we can trust in him. So the story, it moved from the problem to the plan. Genesis 41, 9 through 14, talks all about how the Pharaoh learns of Joseph through the cupbearer, and he commands immediately, bring him to me. This was a chance, this was an opportunity, potentially, that someone could answer this dream. It was so nagging. You know, the Pharaoh didn't know the Lord. But the Holy Spirit can really move people, whether they believe in God or they don't. Whether they trust in the Lord or they don't. Genesis 41, 14 says, Then the Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. And they quickly brought him out of the pit. Second time he's been brought out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. So I, I see this verse very interesting. Let me read that again at, at the end. 14b. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. I, I read uh, one commentator that said that this was Joseph's idea. He believed it was Joseph's idea when he got out of the jail, before he went in front of the Pharaoh, make sure he made himself presentable. Because he was with Potiphar, and he understood the culture, he understood uh, what the expectations might be. I, I don't really go with that based on all of what I've researched. I believe that Pharaoh's people had him go clean, clean up and, and shave. But what I find interesting is, is because I, I enjoy... Um, Biblical uh, uh, understanding the chronology of stuff. 
and, and seeing where Joseph was truly in, in history. And, and when you look at that and you see Joseph was clean shaven, he got clean shaven, there were some pharaohs that didn't care about facial hair, while other pharaohs did. And so it helps tie our, our timeline and to understand that, which is, to me, very fascinating. But he got cleaned up, and he wanted to make sure that he was presentable. So here's the scene. You have conceivably the most powerful man in the entire world standing there, maybe sitting. I'm guessing he's nervous, and he's, he's kind of standing there. And then here comes potentially the weakest, the weakest man standing in front of him. He was a prisoner, a foreigner, a slave. And now you have the, the greatest man begging the weakest man, please help me. What amazing scene. What an amazing scene. And then Pharaoh opens his mouth. This had to be nerve-wracking. Because if Joseph can answer the question correctly, Joseph probably thinks, I'm getting out of here. I'm good to go. I'm out of jail. Get him. This is my get-out-of-jail-free card, and I may even collect $200. If he answers incorrectly or he can't answer, he's probably going back to jail or worse, he's going to be killed because he's nothing. Think about that. I try to put myself in that situation. How many times are you in a situation where you feel so little? You feel, you feel like, man, I, I don't think I could do anything right here. I don't think I'm good enough. I went into a situation down here at, at the nursing home. I, I was uh, uh, teaching on a Sunday afternoon. They, they had a need uh, over there. Uh, the regular person wasn't able to show up. And, and, and so I'm working my way over, and I have, uh, I think, Maddie and Molly with me. And, and we're going to start off with some singing. And, and if you guys know me, I, I can't sing at all, but you know what? I can sing to the Lord. And, and so I'm working my way down there, and and this lady comes up to me, panicked. She goes, my mom's dying right now, right this minute. Can you come? And so I sent Maddie and Molly. I was like, go start the songs or just start visiting with people, which they did. I was very proud of them for that. And I went into this room, and this lady is gurgling, and stuff is coming out of her mouth. Talk about a humbling experience. How are you supposed to give them hope? How are you supposed to give them anything? I didn't know what to do. So what did I do? I shared scripture and I prayed to Jesus. And I loved them. And I cared about them. I, I didn't know what to do. Joseph here, he doesn't know what to do. He's just praying to God. He is silently praying to God, please help me. Was he shaking? I would be. 
We don't know if he's ever seen the Pharaoh before. We think that he probably did because of what his job was with Potiphar, but maybe not. Because he was a slave, he might have been prevented from ever even looking at Pharaoh, let alone seeing him face to face. So what does Joseph do? He points to the God Almighty. Let's look into this scene. Genesis 41, verses 15 through 16. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Man, Joseph is leaning on the providence of God. He's leading, leaning right into him. He understands that, that the dream can't be explained by the understandings that he has of life, the understandings he has of Egypt. He's realized that the only way, the only way that this can happen is if God reveals it to him. Again, don't you think about your own life in this situation? Don't, don't, you, don't you realize that, that God is truly the center of everything? All of those decisions, if you should go work there, if you should uh, send your kid to that, if, if you should take that promotion or go and, and take a demotion. Psalm 103, 19 says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Job 11, 7 through 9. We know the story of Job. Job 11, 7 through 9 says, Can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? It is higher than heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol, what can you know? Its measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. Man, we don't understand all that God has all that God's thinking, all that he wants to do in our lives. We don't understand what, what God wants to do in this community. I don't think we've, we've gathered that yet. We get excited and we have ideas, but I don't think that we have truly begged God, show us. Show us what's to happen here. Show us how we can affect God's kingdom through him. Not only was Joseph relying on God to provide Pharaoh the answer, but he's relying on God to keep him still and quiet in his soul because he needed to be show some confidence in his response as well because it had to be very intimidating. So after the Pharaoh explained his, his dream to Joseph, God reveals the answer to Joseph to give it to Pharaoh. Genesis 41, 17 through 32 this is a little longer piece, but it's good for us to hear it. 41, verses 17 through 32. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, they came out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. I could see why he's distressed. That's pretty crazy. But when they had eaten them no more, would they have known 
that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good, seven ears withered, thin, and blightened by the east wind. I mean, that's the wind coming from the desert on the east side. Didn't happen often. Sprouted after them, and the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears, and I told it to the magicians. But there was no one who could explain it, because remember, it was from God, not just a random dream. Verse 25, Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after the seven years, them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be, the very, it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Man, unbelievable revelation that God had given to Joseph. This is the third set of dreams that we know about that Joseph has heard. You guys remember? First set was when he was uh, a 17-year-old and he told his brothers there was a set of those dreams. Then we had a second set uh, of dreams uh, with the cupbearer and the baker. And now he has an, a third set of dreams that he's interpreting that God was revealing. You know, I, I think of the elections. How many times have we heard of uh, candidates proclaim that something major is going to change? We are going to get this under control, and it will be taken care of in 10, no, 20 years. Genius. Just genius. Because the most they're in there is eight years. And so... If it doesn't work, whoever came after them is the fault. Oh, it would have worked if I would have been in there that whole time. See, but Joseph doesn't do that. Joseph's relying strictly on God, and he, he gives time periods if it's needed. The first one, ambiguous. We don't know when that's going to happen with his brothers bowing to him. The second one, he gives a three-day time period. And now this one, he gives a seven-year and a 14-year time period. Joseph isn't speaking just out of his gut. Joseph isn't speaking just out of some random plan that he wrote out. He's speaking as God is revealing it. Man, I, I just hope that I could be so intimate with the Lord. So in love with the Lord. So, so, so into scripture that I could hear God's voice and, and he could teach me and he could speak to me. That my confidence of of what I am saying is the Lord's and not mine. It's also interesting to point out that Joseph spends one statement, one statement in this entire time talking about the great plenty. And he spends five statements 
five statements on the famine. So interesting uh, when you think about that because the famine, it wasn't normal. The Nile would flood frequently and, and it would make all the, the land uh, ripe for growing. Very fertile and fruitful. Next in the story, we see the proposal. The entire point here is that God is telling Pharaoh through his dreams and through Joseph's words that there is a famine coming and it's going to kill everyone. The famine literally is going to kill everyone because there's going to be no food available in that second set of seven years. Egypt, surrounding countries, including Canaan, they're all going to die. Everyone's going to die. Again, remember we talked about God's timing is perfect. That he brought Joseph in this time so he could, through the Spirit, explain it. So the Pharaoh, he's going to need to start planning and preparing for the famine in advance. And he's going to need someone wise and discerning to do this. You see, this is not what Joseph is explaining that God has revealed to him is not a call for resignation, not a call to go hide not a call to retreat. It is a call for action. And God's always calling for action. He's calling us to move forward, to praise him, to, to be thoughtful in what we're doing. Joseph is called to make sure that the Pharaoh is putting a plan into action. So Joseph, he lays out his plan. Genesis 41, 33-36. Now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for foods in the city and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. We have, jo- we have Pharaoh's response to this. He hears the plan from Joseph. Joseph's just sharing it. Joseph's just laying it out there. Hey, here, here's what God has revealed to me. This is what you need to do. And the Pharaoh looks at him and, and he gives a response because Joseph totally is not saying, oh, oh can you pick me? And this person should be about 30 years old. And uh, he's not saying those things. He's truly just laying out, hey, this is what needs to happen. So the Pharaoh gives his, his initial response. It's recorded in Genesis 41, 38. He says, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? I, I imagine him walking around his, his courts and his royal chamber there and and there's all these different people standing around and and he can we find somebody like this who can we find and he's just asking it because he wants it to resonate in their thoughts he wants them to think um the guy who just told you he want he already knows that he already knows what his response is going to be i think he's trying to get everybody else on board even though whatever he says goes but it just makes everyone's job easier if everyone else is on board. That brings us to the promotion. 
Joseph is going to move from prisoner to prime minister, from pit to pinnacle. You know, Joseph, he's just hoping, please just get me out of jail. We know that he wanted to be out of jail. He asked the cupbearer, please remember me. I'm not even in here. It's, it's, it's not my fault that I'm in here. It's the only time we ever see Joseph make a plea like that. He didn't want to be in jail. He definitely wasn't trying to be a prime minister, second in charge of everything. But due to Joseph's honesty, due to his integrity, due to his uh, ability to be transparent, not lifting himself up, the Pharaoh saw something much more special in him. He wasn't just going to release him from chains. Genesis 41, 39 through 40. Then the Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater. Everyone had to be shocked. Every single person in that court had to be shocked. They couldn't believe what was happening. First, what in the world? This guy has no idea about dreams. He's just lying. He's just saying this to try to lift himself up. I think that might have been a conversation. Second, they're like, this guy's, we could do way better than him. He's a foreigner. We know Egypt. We know it well. I could do way better. I, could, I, can, I can store up grain, if this dream interpretation is right. I, I, can, I can tax people. I can do all that. And then they're thinking maybe, okay, what if he really is in charge? What if, what if Pharaoh isn't joking? How are we going to obey a slave, a criminal? Well, Pharaoh dresses him up in royal gear, gets him all looking good, and, and, and then he, he, he puts a ring on him. You remember those rings? They, they, that, that was the sign. That, that was basically uh, the, uh, I, I went to lunch with a guy the other day, and somehow his credit card, his American Express, got over by me. And I'm like, oh, I'll take that. He goes, hey, you like that? That's an unlimited. He has a couple dollars. But that's what that ring is? That's an unlimited. It says that whatever I say here, and I push that ring into the, to the hot wax, it's done. So he gets that ring he gets that robe, and then Pharaoh takes it up a notch. He goes, you know what? You're going to get in the second chariot, and we're going to go around everywhere, and everyone's going to know that you are number two in charge because you're right with me, and I'm going to proclaim to everybody that you are the man. What, what an experience that had to be. What, what a humbling experience. And he goes, you know what? I'm going to take it up another notch. I'm going to give you a new name, which some commentators say means the savior of the world. I'm going to do one more thing. I'm going to give you 
a beautiful bride. A bride from one of our priests. His daughter. She's, she's going to be great. And, and, and you're going you're gonna to love her and, and you'll have children and, and you'll be fully involved with our community here. Overnight, Joseph moved from the, the jailhouse to the penthouse. Unbelievable. I'm sure that some of you through the years have, have enjoyed promotions in different ways. I, I was a, a PE teacher. I think I was 27 years old. And, and, and I'm sitting there, a PE teacher, one day, not a PE teacher in an elementary school, there's not a lot of responsibilities. <laughs> you you kind of enjoy the, the ride because it's, it's pretty, it's not too difficult. But then the next day, I was serving as the district technology guy in the district office. How, how did I move from one spot to another spot immediately? I, I have no idea. God just worked things out, worked through that process. But I went from hardly any responsibilities, except for my normal day-to-day, to 24-7 responsibilities, where I was, I was serving the superintendent at whatever he needed and, and, and was doing all kinds of things. And I remember that I was at Disney World that first year, and I had an I, or excuse me, a Nextel I-860. That was that first color Nextel. It had the thing on the outside and then color on the, oh, it was beautiful. And I was in line at Disney, and I spent probably an hour or more fixing a problem. You see, when, when you're promoted to different things, the responsibilities start going off the charts. It, uh, Joseph, he's in the jailhouse, and he is. He's running it. Remember, he, he's in charge of the different things. But his responsibilities move from that to a thousandfold overnight. He probably enjoyed the little honeymoon that he had uh, right away, and then all of a sudden, two days later, oh boy, I got to get to work. So Joseph needed to set up a program. He needed to set up a program in order to prepare for the upcoming famine. Simply put, Joseph needed to collect the food. He needed to collect the food for seven years and figure out a way to store it and, and, and so it was accessible and so it was protected as well. I was thinking the other day about fire, how he had to think about, oh my goodness, where are the torches and, and how are we going to light this up because if this all goes up in flames... Man, that, that's going to ruin everything. I'm guessing he had multiple locations. If you ever watch any videos or stuff on Joseph in the Bible movies, uh, they're always collecting in one huge storehouse. I just I imagine him having many silos because he was uh, diversifying, putting stuff in different locations. So this 30-year-old, he traveled all around. He, he, he went all around. This is my guess based on Joseph and what I've studied and learned, is I'm guessing that Joseph fully explained what the situation was. He laid it out. He said, here's, what, here's what's going to happen. And because they, they're going to listen to him at this point. And he goes, you know what? I need you on board. And we need 20%. We need one-fifth of, of all of your harvest. And we're going to store it up. Which is interesting to think about. So he took a 20% tax. 
Some of us would enjoy a 20% tax as opposed to what we get taxed. And, and so they were grateful, it appears, or they were at least followed the orders. Then we get a profession from Joseph. We get a profession from him. And this is interesting. Found in Genesis 41, verses 50 through 52. It says, Before the year of the famine came, two sons were born of Joseph. Ozanoth, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of An, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for, which means, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. You see, Joseph hadn't forgot what had happened, had he? But he was putting things in place to say, you know what? God had a purpose for it. God had a reason for it. And you know what? I am thankful for my children. I'm thankful for my opportunity to serve in Egypt. I'm thankful that I get to keep serving God. And everything, again, is pointing to God. Finally, in the story that takes your breath away, we see the provision. We see the provision. Basically put through the dreams of Pharaoh... And through the interpretation of Joseph and, and through the promotion to the prime minister, God fed the world. God fed the world, the known world, through that process. We've got to move on. See, at, at Village Bible Church, this next section, uh, we, we are normally not given to uh, typology. We don't normally look at, at the Old Testament and, and just start always saying, okay, this, this is what Jesus, this is, this is a character like Jesus, this is a character like Jesus, this is a scene just like well, uh, pointing to the Messiah. You know, we don't, we don't spend a lot of time doing that. But in chapter 41, there is so much, there is so much where it, it, it appears uh, that uh, it's a clear picture of Joseph as a preview of Christ. So I'm going to just talk about a few of them. I'm not going to go into great detail. First, we see that Joseph is a picture of Jesus in his position. In his position. Joseph is put in a position of greatness in the land of Egypt. In fact, one would say that his position was supreme authority. He was the right hand of the Pharaoh. We see the same thing with with Jesus. Hebrews 10, 12 says that Jesus, after returns to heaven, says, but when Christ had offered all things, all time, a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus' position is, is explained in Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. We read that today, Tom. Every knee shall bow because Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is the greatest. And, and that's where we see that picture of Joseph was considered the greatest. 
He, he was the right-hand man. He was the supreme authority. They always said, look to Joseph. Look to Joseph. I'm telling you, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus Christ. We also see a picture of Christ in Joseph's personal life. In his personal life. Jesus is given the name that means Jehovah is salvation. Joseph's given the name Savior of the world. Acts 4.12 says, And there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men which we must be saved. This is, this is Joseph. Everyone needed to look to Joseph, the Pharaoh said, for salvation. That was their only way of salvation. They said, we're starving, we're hungry. Pharaoh says, see Joseph. Talk to Joseph. They would die without his help. But obviously there's a huge difference here. The comparison, there is a comparison, but it's a huge difference because the Son of God is one where true salvation occurs. You see, we may starve to death in this, in this time, in this world, but our focus is eternity. There was a wealthy man in the United Kingdom in the 1950s, and he, and he, he gathered vast amounts of art, vast amounts of art, Monet and Rembrandt and, and all kinds of artists. His, his collection was so vast, it was worth millions and millions of dollars in the 1950s. This collector, he had one son, and his son had died in the war as a pilot during World War II as a young man. This wealthy man died. The wealthy man died, and, and so people came to London for this huge auction. They came from everywhere around the world as, as word spread that all of these paintings were in an auction. And the auction was just getting ready to start, and, and, and the auctioneer was up there, and he said, okay, our first piece is here. And, and they unveiled it, and, and it, was, it, it, it was a piece of garbage. And the auctioneer explained, this is a picture that the son had painted right before he went to World War II. And it was in the will that we had to sell this one first. So no one's bidding. You can hear crickets. No one's even given two bits for it. Finally, an old man in the way back. I wasn't pointing at you, Bill. An old man on the way back, he, he, he stands up, he says, I, I, I served that family for many years. I knew the young man. I'll give two bits. He goes, okay, we've got two bits. Anyone got more? And he kept trying, and no one would give. He goes, okay, sold. He goes, all right, that concludes our auction. Thank you so much. The crowd obviously were, what, what, what's going on? What's going on? Well, the auctioneer explained that the will also said whoever bought the first painting gets all of it. That's the way of Christianity. Whoever gets the son gets the whole lot. 
That's our focus, is Jesus Christ. Joseph is also a picture of Jesus in his, he is a picture of Jesus in his position and in his personal life, but also in his power. And I've already alluded to this. He had the keys to the granary. He held the keys to the granary. Jesus, he holds the key to salvation. Joseph had the power over life and death for everyone around him. Joseph, his job was to use that power wisely. Jesus has the power over eternal life. Our salvation depends on our trust in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, as the man who lived, breathed, died, and was resurrected. Acts 16.31 says, And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. We see that Joseph had a sufficient amount of grain for all those who came to him. Everyone who came from Egypt and afar. Jesus. Jesus. His blood is sufficient for whomever comes to him. In any country, in any location, no matter what they have done in this life, you can come to Jesus. John 6, 37 says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That deserves an amen. Man. There's so much symbolism through this story. We can go on and on. But we thought we, we would pull this out, at least in this chapter. Finally, let's look at the steps for the rest of us. Let's look at the steps for the rest of us. Genesis 41 reminds every Christian about God's greatness. <laughs> Our God is so great. He's always watching over us. You and I, we sometimes totally forget that God has our best interests because he has a plan for our life. Whether, whether it's, it's times of trouble, times where we're sad, times where we're happy, times where we're feeling joy, times of riches, times of poverty. No matter what, God's greatness is always lifted on high. Psalm 144 says, Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hand for war and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. O Lord, what is man? What is man that you regard him, or the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Our God is great. Our God is great. We forget it all the time, how great our God is. That's where the picture of of, of Jesus being the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, we sometimes miss here in America. We don't understand when we see a king, when we think of a king, we need to bow. Not even make eye contact. Bow. And serve him willingly. The chapter in Genesis also reminds Christians about the gifts God gives. God provides each Christian with gifts. The greatest gift that he provided, he, Jesus talked about frequently, was the gift of the Holy Spirit. To have God dwelling inside of you as a believer is an unbelievable thing. 
What a gift that is. Isaiah 11, 2 through 3 says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Paul, in 1 Corinthians, he identifies many gifts that are thrown at us uh, when we are believers, that are bestowed upon us. Words of wisdom, which I already mentioned, words of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, workings of miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, speaking and interpreting tongues. Genesis 41 also reminds every Christian about living for God's glory. Remember, this is, this is what he's reminding Christians. Christians are people who not only believe in God, but they trust him as their Lord and Savior. Living for God's glory, we see in Joseph, in the face of the person who could have freed him. And he's talking to that person. He's talking to Pharaoh, and he could save him. And he says, you know what? This is God. This is not me speaking. This is God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. This is where I fail. I like to say that I do all for the glory of God. Right? That, that's fun to say. I would love that on my, on my tombstone. He did all for the glory of God. But we don't. I don't. I have trouble in that area because I get involved with life. I, I, I get involved with, with different things and my thoughts and different things going on uh, out, outside, of, uh, outside of me, outside of my control. And, and those are where my thoughts go. And, and i got to spend more time on my knees, begging God to teach me and to train me. Digging into God's word, because that's where the truth is found. Finally, Genesis 41 reminds every Christian about stewardship that allows for generosity. Stewardship means the management of stuff. How are you managing things? And we see that Joseph, he was an excellent steward. He was an excellent steward of uh, of the grain during those seven years. We'll see later on in other chapters, maybe 47, that he's going to be an excellent steward of, of the finances for Pharaoh, excellent steward of, of how much to give out during the years, an excellent steward of, of all the different things, all the affairs in Egypt. But generosity, generosity is, is the ability to be kind. The ability, the ability to share what you have been given because of your good stewardship. When you and I are good stewards with our time and our resources, man, we could be generous. We, we could see somebody in need and we could meet that need as the Holy Spirit leads. We, we can be able to support people that are going outside of our country, that are going down the street, that are serving the Lord. We could be generous to help our neighbor. With, with their rent. We can be generous of all kinds of different things. With our time, we can go help somebody out. You know, I ask that you do that today. Not necessarily go help your neighbor or pay for someone's rent. But I ask that you ask God 
Where are you not being a good steward? Are you not being a good steward with your finances? Are you just buying stuff just to buy it? Or with your time, are you spending so much time with, with, with your smart device that that's overwhelming you? Think about that. Think about where you're spending your energy and, and time and, and money. Get involved with programs like Dave Ramsey's, Crown Financial Ministry, Family Life Today. Uh, read books about time management and understand those things. If you can get that stewardship under control, which we all need help in, in some fashion, that your generosity can be, can go out of, and, and praise God with it. You know, our Savior, he focuses three years, his major three years of ministry. He uses time so well on teaching these 12 men because he knew what that was going to multiply. He knew that with his stewardship of his time, that the generosity of that time was going to multiply billions and billions of folds. Are you a steward of your time? Are you a steward of your money? Are you willing to focus on serving God Almighty? Praise God, from whom all blessings come. We have the Cinderella man and Joseph, but we have Jesus Christ as the one we praise and we glorify. Let's go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we are thankful to serve you and to, to lean in on you. We're thankful to uh, be open to worship you in public. We pray, God, that you can teach us each day how to serve you with a pure heart. We say in Scripture, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that you are the Lord. May we bow. May we confess today that you are Lord. We praise you for it. We praise you for your sacrifice and your resurrection. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray.